All right, church. Hey, why don't you go ahead and get out your Bibles, digital or analog, and then go ahead and get out your notes, um, whether it's the bulletin, the paper one that you received, that's the analog one, or whether you find it on the Coastal app, that's the digital one. So I'm going to get your Bible and also your notes out as well. And then as you're doing that, while you're doing that, what if I told you that knowing your calling is possible? What if you discovered your purpose, pursued your calling, and lived in a way with such focus that it actually made a difference in your life and actually made a difference in the life of other people, all with the goal, with the aim to bring glory to God? What if I told you that your foundation literally determines your vision, where you're going, where you're heading, is actually established by what it is that you're grounded in. Look, I know this isn't said much nowadays in our current culture, but there is a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you were born in this time period at this moment. There's a reason why you are literally on this earth. There's a reason why you're even here today. There's purpose in it. And sometimes you don't know the purpose in the moment. You don't see it in the moment as you're actually going through that moment. Look, I don't have this verse for you in your notes, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that you were, you are God's masterpiece. That you've been created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he had planned for you long ago. And when it comes to purpose and calling, there are some things that we will not fully know while we're here on earth, but there are some things that God has made crystal clear through his word as to who he's called you to be and what it is that he's called you to do. Today, I believe in this passage that we're going to be in, in Titus chapter 2, man, it shows us this powerful teaching that the apostle Paul actually gave to Titus, gave to this church in the first century. And remember in this church, it was written to the, this island, this church is on these, this island of Crete, which has some Cretans who were in the church who were actually choosing their culture over Christ. And they were trying to find their purpose in their culture. And there were Jewish people who were in the church, who were literally telling people in the church that before you can actually find your hope and eternal life in Christ, you had to become Jewish first. And Paul writes to Titus to challenge the church, to challenge the people. And even through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is even challenging us today. And he wanted to remind that church that our foundation literally determines our vision, that what we're grounded in actually produces our calling. It is God's word that challenges us to see that when we're grounded in the gospel, that we must, we need, we can actually do the things that we're called to do. So are you ready to get into this passage today? Look, if you're ready, say amen. amen. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Listen to what the word of God says. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who himself for us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray together. Father, again, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you for even that song that we just sang, God, reminded us that we can run to you at any time, at any moment. We can run to our Heavenly Father. God, we believe that there is purpose in you. There's hope in you. There's calling in you. And God, today, as we look at your word again, God, would you remind us that since we are grounded in the truth, since we are grounded in the gospel, Lord, remind us again that Lord, our very purpose is only founded in you. All the other things we try to fill our lives with, God, remind us of the truth that really sets us free. God, remind us of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, church, today I want to show you just three reasons, like because we are grounded in the gospel, that we can do the things that we're actually called to do. So number one, okay, write this down. Because we are grounded in the gospel, because we are grounded in the truth of God, look, we are called to extend the invitation of grace to everyone. Because we know what God has taught in his word, this invitation of grace that we have received, look, it isn't just for us. Look again what Paul says here in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You know, sometimes people actually use verses like this to teach that, look, all people, every single person, they're going to be saved. Or sometimes they'll use a verse like this to teach, look, all roads really do lead to heaven because when Jesus died, like everyone is going to get saved, like everyone will be saved. It's a form of something called universalism. But here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, this is not universalism. It's not all roads lead to heaven. It's not all roads lead to God. It's not that Jesus dying on the cross automatically saves everyone. In fact, when we're reading the Bible, remember that scripture interprets scripture. We use God's word to interpret God's word. And when we're looking at a verse, we look at that verse, yes, for what it's saying right here in this passage, but we also look at the entire counsel of God's word, because we know that there are no contradictions in the word of God. It is inerrant. It is inspired. These are the very words of God. So we look at what the entire Bible said in the New Testament, across the Old Testament. We let scripture interpret scripture. And look, we know from all places in the word of God that everyone is created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. Because for you to become a child of God, you must be born again. Look, Paul's saying here that the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God is actually a reference to Jesus coming, his very first coming. And this salvation, this grace that has appeared, look, it brings salvation for anyone who will believe in him. In fact, do you remember what Pastor Tito taught on last week? when he talked about the old man and the young man and the old women and the young women, servants in the church, people who were working in the church and the people of all different backgrounds in the church. And remember here too, this was written to the church in Crete. So there were Cretans on this Greek island who were in this church. There were people of Jewish ethnicity in this church as well. So what Paul's saying here 
is that this grace that has appeared, it really is for everyone, old and young, male and female, of every single ethnic group. He's saying that this gift of grace has been brought by God. God is the one who made the first move. He made it appear. He is the one who calls and draws people to himself. And this gift that you can be forgiven, this gift that you can obtain hope for eternity one day, really is available for everyone, that no one is excluded. Man, it's the same thing the Apostle Paul would say in another church or when he's writing to another church in Romans chapter 10, verse 11, where he wrote, for the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Now, pause right there for a moment. Leave that up there, Doug, for a moment, okay? You know, people will sometimes ask me why I talk about race when I'm teaching from the Bible. First of all, when it comes to race, there's only one race. There's a human race to begin with. And in fact, when the Bible talks about different groups of people, the word used in the original language is the word ethnos, which means different ethnicities, different groups of people. And here, even in this verse, Paul is saying, look, there is now no distinction. There's no breakdown of culture by these different groups because the gospel is indeed the leveling field. Look, right now, our culture is saying, like, for you, if you are in a different ethnic group, like either you hate that other ethnic group or the only way that you can actually gain right status in our culture is for you to put down a different ethnic group. That's not what the gospel teaches. That's not the way it is with Christ. And even here, Paul saying, no matter your background, no matter your past, no matter your sin, no matter what you were even doing last night, no matter which ethnic group or culture you were brought up in or that you've lived in, no matter who you are, this grace is indeed available to everyone. He says, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For, what's that word say right there, church? What's that word? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, church, do you remember when you were the one? Do you remember when this invitation of grace was extended to you? Do you remember when you were the one who actually got invited to a church and you realized that you were a sinner in need of a savior? Do you remember when that family member or friend shared the gospel with you and you realized that this gift of grace wasn't just for everyone, but it was for you? Do you remember when it is that you realized that you needed this Jesus to save you, to rescue you, to change you, to transform you? Do you remember when you were the one that realized that God had been calling you? And that this Jesus who is God, that he died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. And yes, this is available for everyone, but it was for you that he died because he loved you. Do you remember when you were the one that you answered the call? Because everyone who called on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you remember when you called on the name of the Lord and he began to change your life? Do you remember when you were the one? Look, what God has done for us is not just for us. And what Paul is challenging Titus right here to remember is that we need to send this same gift of grace to extend the same invitation of grace to everyone that God would allow to bring in our circle of influence that he would actually bring across 
our path. Um, on your seats, there's these little invitation cards that we have around here. I have a lot of them in my pocket. Like we have some invitation cards right there on your seat. Those are not there because we accidentally put them out. They are there for a purpose. Look, church, there's something about the fall where it is a great season of invitation. And I want to challenge you. One of the things that we say around here all the time is that, look, we know the gospel and we share the gospel. Like we want to be a church. Again, we don't keep what God has done for us just for us. We want to share it with everyone that has come across our path that God allows to come into our circle of influence. Come on, who is it right now that God has in your circles, in your neighborhood, co-workers, friends, people that you're consistently running into that you need to extend an invitation of grace to? Look, you know, if you bring somebody here, look, they're going to hear the gospel every single week. But we want to challenge you. You would extend that invitation to somebody, man, invite them to the fall cookout and kickoff coming up on September 10th. Invite them to come to a place where they're going to hear the good news about who Jesus is. And in fact, maybe you're even sitting in this room today and maybe someone invited you to come into this place today. Maybe someone even shared the link with you online for you to watch the service online today. And maybe they share that with you because they want you to hear the only hope that's available in Jesus Christ. Look, so many times we try to fill our life with all these things and all these achievements, and we try to find our purpose and our hope in those things, but we find those things only keep leaving us empty and broken. In fact, that's actually caused by the sin in us. The sin in us causes this brokenness that we feel, and sin only produces more brokenness in us and around us. But the good news is that this Jesus who is God came into this earth to die on the cross to pay the price for your sins. That that brokenness can be forgiven. Our sins can be forgiven. And hope and life to the full can be found in Christ. In fact, today, if you're sitting in this room or even watching online, if you haven't yet trusted Christ, I mean, has he been calling you? Has he been drawing you? Christianity following Jesus is the only religion where there is where you don't achieve. So many times, again, we try to achieve our identity. We try to even achieve our own salvation, but salvation is not achieved. It is received. It is the free gift of God. Come on, has he been calling you? Has he been drawing you? Look, the scripture says today is the day of salvation for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you need to call on the name of Jesus? today. Look, church, we are called because we've received this grace, because we're grounded in this grace. We are called to extend this invitation of grace to everyone. It's not just for us. But Paul also shows us here that if we're grounded in the gospel, not only are we called to extend this invitation of grace to everyone, we are also called to be transformed. Look, when we're in Christ, when we're in a relationship with him, when we're grounded in the gospel, God, does, God does, just doesn't want to leave us where we are, but he wants us to be transformed. And when you're thinking about what it means to be transformed, to not just stay where we are, look, I want to challenge you to think about it in this way, okay? That we train, we don't try. Now, I need you to help me really get this idea into the people sitting next to you. So I want you to turn to your neighbor, and you're going to repeat after me, but I need you to yell at them a little bit, okay? 
For you guys who've been in the military before, like think a bit, think about this when you were first in boot camp or basic training. And when maybe that sergeant or that colonel, whoever it was, was yelling at you a little bit, I want you to yell at them. Or maybe your first day of like football camp and your coach had to yell at you. I need you to yell at them a little bit, okay? So I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to say, neighbor. Nobody's going to believe you guys if you say it like that, okay? That's sounding like a nice golf course, okay? We're not talking about golf course. Like we're talking about military basic training, sports training, okay? So look at them again and say, neighbor. There you go. Say, don't try. Train. Look again what Paul says here in verse 12. He says, if you are grounded in the gospel, this grace that has appeared that you've received, this invitation that's available to everyone, if you are grounded in this incredible grace, he says that this grace is now training us. Look, how many of you know that the gospel isn't just a pool that we dive into? It's literally the water that we swim in. But the truth of the gospel, it trains us and it also transforms us. And he says, so if you are grounded in that, he says that the truth of the gospel is now training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Look, a simple way to say this verse is that we are called to literally move away from, even leave, both in thought and in action, any worldview that is without Christ at the center of it. Again, this salvation, this freedom that we've received, this grace that we've been given through the gospel, it is training us to put away some things, renounce some things, and to actually to live godly lives. In fact, that word training in the original language, when it was written, it can be interpreted and even translated. It can mean to educate, to be disciplined. And of course, right here where it said, it can mean to train. One of the challenges or problems that I think that we face oftentimes when we're followers of Jesus, is that after we've trusted in Christ, or maybe seasons that we enter into, One of the challenges is that we will often enter into a season where we're trying, not training. We can be in a season where we're like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to try to to give my all. I'm going to try it and see how it really works out. I'm going to try to really live for Jesus in the season, kind of see how it goes. So anytime there's an obstacle that comes in our way, anytime we actually reach some type of tension point, or we face some type of struggle, or where something pushes back against the things that we believe, because we've just tried to see how it, how it goes, we end up taking a step back or even walking away. But Paul's saying here, look, we don't try, we train. We don't just give it a shot. We actually discipline and educate ourselves to do what it is that God has called us to do because God wants to transform you. There was a philosopher back from the 1900s, 1990 hundreds, um, who was very, very popular. I wanted to quote something that he said. The philosopher Yoda said this. He says, do or do not. I tried to do the voice, but I can't. Do or, I'm trying to do it again. Do or do not. There is no try. Author and pastor Craig Rochelle was a much 
more credible source says this. He says to try is to attempt to do the right thing by exerting effort in the moment. But he says to train is to commit to develop strategic habits that equip you to do the right thing in the moment. Do you see the difference? Trying is like, I'm going to wait to that moment, kind of see what happens. But training is even right now, man, you are disciplining yourself, educating yourself, training yourself to do what God has called us to do. And church, we are called to be transformed. So train, don't try. How many, how many of you in here have a driver's license? Raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. How many of you guys wish you had a driver's license? Raise your hand up. Okay. Um, I can remember when, when I first went to try to get my driver's license, when I was first ready to get my driver's license, I was so ready for it. Um, I can remember from the youngest age, I always loved cars. And I remember even looking at driving as almost a source of freedom. So I could not wait to get to that moment where I could finally go and to actually get my driver's license. So I lived in the state of South Florida at the age 16 and a half. When you're about 16 and a half, you can go to get your learner's permit. And when it came time to actually get that driver's license, because I saw the freedom that it would produce, because I thought, man, I really wanted to drive a car. I love cars. I wanted to be in that driving lifestyle. That's where I wanted to go. I didn't try. I began to train. And what I would do, I would educate myself because you have to read all the driver's manuals, you have to pick up all the state law books. You have to educate yourself on the rules of the road. Um, I began to train and to even to discipline myself when it came to my finances. I was working at Burger King, making minimum wage, which back in 1997, the year 1997, was about $5.15 an hour. And I knew my little Burger King paycheck, if I actually wanted to actually get my license, my dad had said, look, you're not going to drive any of our cars because we don't trust you. If you want to get your license, you have to actually pay for a driving instructor and they're going to train you to drive. So I remember saving my little Burger King paycheck, the $300 it cost to do that course. And I disciplined myself even in my finances then. And even though I wanted all these other things, there's something I wanted so much more. I can even remember that during that time, I really wanted one of those CD Walkmans with the anti-skip feature. You know what I'm talking about? For you guys who are under age 20, a CD is a little circular disc that people would put music on and it would spin around in these little containers. And you would sign up for these CD clubs where they would send you like five CDs for $50. And then if you didn't pay them back, they would come back and repossess your whole life. It was a crazy time in the 1900s. But I disciplined myself, even with my finances, because there was something that I wanted so much more than anything else. And then even when it came to actually take the test, to take the written test, even though I failed three times taking the written test, I didn't just try. I continued to train and to educate myself so I could pass that test. And when it came time to take the road test, my instructor who was in the car with me, even though he was fearing for his life, fearing for his life, like I didn't just continue to, to try, I continued to train myself so I could actually pass that test. And even after I got my license and my dad was with me in the car and he almost had a heart attack the first time I merged onto I-95, even in that moment after his criticism, I didn't give up. I continued to educate myself. I continued to discipline myself and train myself so I can stand before you now 
now as the greatest driver in all of American history. I don't know if that part's true or not, but church training versus trying. Trying is when we actually put in habits and systems and foundations that will actually help us move forward into what it is that God has called us to be and God has called us to do no matter the moment that we find ourselves in. He says training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live with self-control, upright and godly lives in this present age. When it comes to training versus trying, how are you doing right now in this present age? Look, I'm not talking about a decade ago, 50 years ago, or even last year. I'm talking about right now in this present age. Come on, church, right now. Are you trying to live for Christ or are you training? Right now, are you trying to renounce sinful or ungodly areas of your life in this present age right now? Or are you training to be transformed? You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he would give an illustration to to help the people see just how serious it is that God takes this renouncing of ungodliness in our lives. That we wouldn't just try to live for God when it comes to actually training and allowing the Lord to discipline us. There are things that are going to be in our life that we're literally going to have to cut off and even throw out. Man, listen to this strong language that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, he says, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one member, one of your members, than your whole body go into hell. So was Jesus saying here that he wanted a bunch of one-handed pirates walking around? No. But he was saying here, look, there's going to be things in your life that even after you decide to follow him, they're going to try to linger. But you have to take it to the extreme sometimes. And you're going to have to cut it off. You're going to have to throw it away. The Apostle Paul, again, when he was writing to another church, he uses the, the same type of strong language. Man, listen to what he says here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, put to death. Church, does that sound like just trying? Does that sound like some discipline, educating yourself, letting the Holy Spirit train you in what to do? Paul says, put to death, therefore. Now, again, like before you look at this list, we've been saying around here that we don't just read the word of God. We let it read us. So if there's anything in this list right here that Paul says to put to death, man, maybe it's time for you to cut it off, to throw it away, to put it to death in your life. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Now, it's not being passionate for the things of God, but passionate for things that are sinful in our lives. Look, if there's something sinful in your life right now that you're passionate about, do you need to put it to death? He has put to death passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says this in verse 7. He says, in these you two once walked when you were living in them. He's saying again, look, the grace of God has appeared. You heard this invitation of grace and you received it and it has changed you. Look, that ain't you anymore. Things are brand new in Christ. You are different now in Christ. And he says in verse 8, but now you must put all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He says, look, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. He says here, and here it is again, him pushing down any cultural separation and pointing to the unity that's in the gospel. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. Church, this isn't trying. This is transformation. So what is it in your life right now that you need to put to death to be transformed? Look, some of you need to put to death some of the things in your past. Look, some of you, what you've done or what's been done to you has defined you. And God has said that is old. He wants you to put on the new. Look, no one else gets to define you. Not the things that you've done, not even what's been done to you, but instead Christ. Look, he says anyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. Look, the old is gone and the new has come. Look, you need to put to death some of those things in your past that you've let define you. Some of you need to put to death giving your identity away and letting someone else define who you actually are. Look, TikTok doesn't get to tell you your worth. Likes on the gram don't get to transform you. Not even your relationship status right now gets to define who you are. You are God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ to do the good things that he has planned for you long ago. Man, some of you need to put to death the idea that you will never be free and that things will never be different in your life. That change can't come. That you can't move past your past or that you can't move past what it is that you've been addicted to. Man, but the scripture says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Again, if you are in Christ, anyone can be made new. Any addiction can be overcome through the power of Christ. Look, if you are in Christ, you are in process. Look, God is sanctifying you. And wherever it is that God has you, look, he wants to transform you. In fact, have you ever noticed that the word discipline itself, that the word disciple actually has the word discipline in it? And this is what God's calling us to do. Training is discipline. Training is discipleship. Disciples don't try. They train. We are faith-filled, grounded people who do what it is that we're called to do. Look, I wanted to give you some really basic steps that you can take to really to put this into practice. When we're thinking about actually training for transformation, here's a couple of steps that you can take. I don't have these in your notes. I think they might all be on one slide, but either write these down or take a picture of these things, okay? The first thing we're thinking about training for transformation is that we need to actually define the win. Look, in whatever area of your life, you need to define the actual win, Look, church, what, it, what is it that you're aiming for? 
What is the goal? And what is it that God has called you to do? Look, I would even say that when it comes right down to it, you need to think about what is the win in every single area of your life. What is the area of your life right now that you actually need to submit to Christ? Because in every single area, whether it's our health, whether it's our finances, man, whether it's our future, whether it's our spiritual health, whatever it is, we submit every single area to Christ. So what is it that you actually need to find the win as according to what God has said and what he's called you to do in every single area? But then you also need to design some milestones and celebrate when you actually hit those milestones. Look, maybe it's simply taking the step to get counseling. Uh, maybe it's actually taking the step like to get the inquiry for that appointment. Maybe for you, it's like you've never read a book of the Bible. So taking that, designing that milestone, I'm going to finish one book of the Bible. Whatever it is, design some milestones and celebrate the win. Man, I love it when I hear about people who were once addicted to a substance um, or whether it's something online, whether it's pornography, whether it's um, uh, alcohol or drugs, and they share those milestones. Hey, it's been one week that I've been sober, one week that I have not gone back. Or they share, hey, it's been a month, it's been a year, it's been 25 years. Like we need to designate those milestones and even celebrate those milestones. But also you need to put some things to death. Remember, church, like this is spiritual. In fact, some of you, before you leave here today, before this day is over, you need to have the funeral for past hurts. You need to have the funeral and put to death what someone else has called you or said that you are, even though God himself says the opposite. Some of you even need to put to death a relationship that is toxic and hurtful. And some of you even need to delete some numbers and some apps from your phone that continue to push you further from Christ. Today's the day to have the funeral. And then the last thing is to remember, don't go at it alone. And I would even add a little rhyming phrase to that. Don't go at it alone and make it known. Look, I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. Look, there's something powerful that happens when you bring something out of the darkness and into the light. Around here at Coastal, we say it all the time. Look, tell on your sin before it tells on you. And so if there's a wind that you want to experience in an area that God has sent in his word, tell somebody. If there's something that you've been struggling with and you've been holding on to and you know it's taking you further or further away from, from who God is and what he's called you to, tell somebody. There's something about when you actually share your struggles and your pain and your hurt with somebody that God actually brings in is healing. Remember, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And again, here's my shameless plug for small groups. It's small group season, and we want to encourage every single person to be in a small group. And in fact, maybe that purpose that you've been looking for, that healing that you've been praying that you would experience is only going to come where you actually open up to some other people and share the help that you need so God can actually bring in more of his grace in that moment. Church, we are called not to try, but to trade. Wherever God has you right now, he wants to transform you. And the last thing I wanted to show you today from this passage, when we are grounded in the gospel, number three, write this down. We are called to wait, but with expectancy. When we are grounded in the truth of the gospel, we are called to wait, but with expectancy. 
Look what Paul says here again in verse 13. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You know, Paul said in verse 11, the the grace of God has appeared. And that's a reference to Jesus' first coming. And then here in verse 13, he says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's talking about the second coming in Jesus returning to this earth. And can I just remind you again, church, Jesus is coming back. But we're called to wait, but with expectancy. You know, the word blessed here and the original language is a word makarios, and it means to be happy. In fact, it could almost be translated that you're waiting for your happy hope at the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the word waiting here in the original language actually means to look forward to. So it's like we're looking forward to our happy hope for when Jesus is going to come back. Church, this type of waiting is a type of waiting that we actually do with joy. Looking forward to the fact that God right now is building his kingdom and also looking forward to the fact that he is going to return again. But while we wait, we wait with joy. While we wait, we work with him to build his kingdom. The apostle Peter would say something similar in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, when he says this. He says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be, thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting, waiting for and hastening the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Church, new heavens and a new earth are coming. New heavens and a new earth that are not defined by sin, but instead are characterized by righteousness are coming. But right now we wait on the Lord. But remember, even while we're waiting on him, the God is working. And this is a reminder here that he will indeed fulfill his promises. In fact, I wonder how many of you, just by show of hands, right now are actually waiting on God to do something. How many of you right now, you're waiting on God to do something, something you're praying for, man, you're hoping it's going to change in your life. You're waiting on God to move in your life right now. And I would ask you the question, how are you doing while you're waiting. You know, sometimes, again, people have read this, our blessed hope, our our happy hope, we're looking forward to Jesus returning. And so while we're waiting on God, sometimes people have taught, well, while you're waiting on God, you need to have like this crazy joker smile on your face, right? 
even if you're in a painful season, some people even taught you to have like that Ned Flanders type of faith from the Simpsons where everything's all oakly doakly, like happy and okay all the time. But really in God's word, if you just read the Psalms alone, then God's word highlights that even while you're waiting, it is okay to express to God the frustration, the confusion, the pain that you're experiencing in the moment. But again, even in that moment, we don't let the pain or the confusion or the frustration define those things. Even in that moment while we're waiting on God, we're thinking about his promises, how he's been faithful before, and how he's going to be faithful again. And Paul is saying here that we wait on him with this happy hope, even in pain, because God is going to keep his promises. And look, I don't know who in the world this is for today, but while you are waiting on something to change, while you are waiting on God to move, don't give up. But remember, don't try as you're waiting on the Lord. Train, seek him, follow him, trust him. Man, give others the same invitation of grace that you've been given. Let God transform you while you wait. Man, cutting some things off, putting some things to death, letting him do his sanctifying work in you, pushing aside those things that are ungodly and living a godly life while you're waiting on him. Don't just try, but train. Keep following him. Keep trusting in him. Because when you're grounded in the gospel, you're called to wait but with expectancy, because God is going to move. As our worship team comes back to the stage, I wanted to share with you one more verse found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 is one of the first verses I memorized uh, when I first became a follower of Jesus. And this whole passage is all about waiting on the Lord. But if you just back up, we're going to get to verse 31. And it's like one of those Christian coffee mug t-shirt verses you probably have heard before. But if you read this a couple more verses, it shows the power in actually waiting on God to move and doing the things that you're called to do, even while you're waiting on him. Look, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases their strength. Come on, church, even while you're waiting, God wants to increase your strength. Are you expecting him to? Are you seeking that he will? It says that he increases their strength. But even you shall faint and be weary. Even young men shall fall and be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they shall not faint. Look, church, when you're grounded in the gospel, no matter what moment it is that you find yourself in, you do what you're called to do. Right now, do you need to extend that same invitation of grace to someone? that God has literally brought in your circle. Right now is what you're called to do to let God actually transform you. Like, what is it that you need to put to death right now in your life? Man, let God take it away, throw it away, get the help that you need, take the steps so he can actually transform you into who you're called to be. And right now, remember that you are called to wait. 
Jesus is going to come back. And whether he calls us home or whether he, t- he returns right now, in this moment, right now, I keep praying it'll be like right when I say it one time. But whenever he comes back, we wait on him with expectancy and with hope. God's going to keep his promises. He's never failed you before. And I'm telling you, not just from my word, from the word of God, that he will not fail you ever. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you, God, that even though we don't know every single thing, Lord, we're called to do, God, you've made some things so crystal clear. Lord, our purpose is in you. God, our hope is in you. you. And God, thank you that we have a hope that isn't just based on um, a bunch of just stuff, but it's based in the truth of who you are. And so, God, I pray, God, I pray that we will be a church that waits on you with expectancy. And God, I pray for every hand that went up today that's waiting on you for something. God, I pray that you would move in their lives. God, I pray that you would, you would meet them where they are. God, I pray that you would provide. You are the God who provides. But Lord, I pray that however long it is, it takes you to answer however long you want them to wait. God, I pray every single moment they wouldn't just try to follow you, but God, they would continue to educate themselves on your word or to discipline themselves in following you or letting your Holy Spirit train them so even in that moment, God, they can wait with this great expectancy because you are the God who never fails. We love you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.